1: Like what you learn on this and other Cashflow Diary podcast episodes? Go to learninvestingnow.com and sign up to receive powerful tips and information that will help you succeed as an entrepreneur and investor. Now, here's your host, investor, entrepreneur, business owner, educator, speaker, author, and master facilitator of Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Game, Jay Massey.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Diary Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Massey, and I'm glad that you're here today because here's what I know. I know today is going to be one of those days where you have an elevation in the way that you think about the way that you think, and most importantly, what you're actually going to go out there and be able to do, because today's guest is going to help you, because she's a serial entrepreneur. Let me decode that for you. She's done it more than once. And when you do anything more than once, you have the ability to not, yes, only learn from your prior mistakes, but also from your prior successes, and most importantly, get the benefit of what we will call a compound interest of successive successes to make bigger things happen for you, and most importantly, the people that you serve. So just imagine, if you were able to not do it once, not twice, not three, but six times, and able to get a country, uh, country that would, a country would be good too, but a company to a hundred million dollars in annual revenues. Do you think you'd have anything to share? Do you think you've learned anything? If you'd wrote a book and have been speaking and been a university lecturer as well as an angel investor, do you think you'd have perspective? Well, that's today's guest. She's going to share that perspective with you and I. So what does that mean? That means right now it's time to break out the pen, the pad, the iPad, the iPhone. Whatever you take notes on, now is the time to listen to none other than May McCarthy, CEO of Bizzles. And we are going to learn today. May, you there?
2: I'm here, Jay. Thank you so much.
0: I'm glad that you are taking the time. I, I hear that uh, Seattle is booming, real estate's on the rise, and there's nothing but business happening up there.
2: Uh, You cannot turn around without seeing at least three cranes in the sky, building, building, <laughs> building. We are, we are now known as the cloud computing capital of the world.
0: Cloud computing capital of the world. Did not know that, but okay, I'm in, I'm in. Now, before we get too far, though, I have to ask you the same question I ask everybody, especially the first time that they're here. I tend to look at today's entrepreneurs a lot like yesterday's, Superheroes, you know, Wonder Woman, Black Widow, Hulk, Superman, Spider Man, all of those people, because I think entrepreneurs and superheroes have a ton in common. Chief among them, occasionally we get dressed up and put on our superhero outfits and go out there to use our special skills and improve the quality of life of other people. That's both superhero and entrepreneur. Now, also like a superhero, entrepreneurs have a beginning. What do I mean by that? Before Spider Man was Climbing walls and doing all the things that he does. He was just taking photos. He was a normal everyday person. So, what I want to know, what we would like to uncover is before the six companies, before the book, before becoming an angel investor, before doing all the things that you currently do over at Bizults, who is May McCarthy?
2: Oh, wow. Gosh, that's a great question. So my my background is I'm the last of 10 kids. Oh, my. And I was born and raised in Hawaii, and we had this giant old, you know, beach house that my dad, who was a surgeon, and my mom, who was a nurse, uh, moved into when they took seven of their kids from the Midwest to Hawaii in 1959. Wow. Yeah, and then they had three more kids, and I'm the last one. <laughs> And what I noticed was that although my dad was a surgeon, um, they, they taught us some really interesting lessons. My dad would, would give away healthcare to people that couldn't afford it, but, but he would look them in the eye and say, you know what? You might not have money for this, but you are incredibly valuable. And so someday you're going to think of some sort of value exchange that you can have with me. But right now we have to take care of you and make sure you're well. So people that could afford to pay him with money, you know, these certificates that we have Mm. um, did that. And they paid very, very dearly because he was exceptional. But those that couldn't, he wanted them to know that they were valuable and would come up with some sort of exchange later. And at the end of the year, he always marveled to all of his kids and he said, I've received more than I would have had I just only received money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he would point that out to us. The other thing is anytime we would ask for money, uh, whether it was from my parents or, you know, each other, uh, something had to be exchanged of value. Yes. We either had to wash dad's car. We had to trim the hedges. We had to, you know, take the dogs out and wash them. I mean, we had to do something to exchange value. And um, if we could figure that out, we would do very, very well in business. So out of his 10 children, eight of us are all entrepreneurs. Oh,
0: my goodness. I'm so excited right now. So, okay, mate, you don't know this, but one of the things that I've often said to my kids, and my oldest is tired of hearing it, is every time uh, they ask me for money, all of them, uh, the the exact response is, you know, to dad, can I have? Is always yes, you can. All you have to do is develop a product or service and learn to sell it. And I'm just so encouraged right now to hear that I'm not the only dad who's thinking that way. And eight of you, I think that's impressive. Yeah, eight of you.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I started my first one that are not counted in the six that I've had previously as an adult, but I started my first one at, at age six. Of course. Uh, because the other thing that we were taught was when you're doing a value exchange, Yes, um, you can always look for an opportunity to solve a problem, to create a convenience um, and I remember remarking to my mother that out in front of our house uh, was a private beach. So it wasn't a beach park with facilities or uh, concessions or anything. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I remember remarking that some of those days were really, really hot. And we should have something available for those people on the beach in front of our house to, you know, drink or cool them off. And she said, well, do you want to? create a value exchange? Do you want to create a business? And I thought, well, okay. So she helped me create my first business at six. And what we did was we got these, um, big things of that sugary syrup punch and oh. we mixed it with water and we froze, uh, these little like Dixie cups, a little bit bigger than Dixie cup sized, um, cups and we froze them and called them ice cups. Okay. And so people could come up to our house and buy two for a quarter, one for 15 cents. And it didn't matter, you know, if I was there all the time. Ev- everyone in my family learned how to sell these, um, <laughs> these ice cups. And it got so big that I had to buy an extra big freezer. And, um, and one thing I learned that was incredibly valuable was the idea of shrinkage. Because my brothers and their friends wouldn't pay for
1: theirs.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we had inventory that would disappear. <laughs>
0: disappear, no doubt.
2: Those are great lessons. If you can find um, if a problem that needs a solution and you come up with a great solution or... Or a convenience. That's a great business.
0: Well, you know, you just said something that I don't think we've ever talked about here because I'm often remarking and, and talking about how entrepreneurs solve problems, but you also took the other end of creating a convenience, which it's a different way of looking at the same coin in my opinion. But I would like you to expand more about on this concept of creating a convenience more if for no other reason than we typically don't talk about it.
2: Well, uh, let's use one of the greatest convenience tools in the world, and that's the iPhone.
0: You got right? that right.
2: So, so you know, I've had computers. I mean, I remember my first computer looking kind of like one of those portable sewing machines. <laughs> uh, maybe it was a long time ago. And I also remember my first cell phone, which was had a cord and it was attached to a bag. It was wow. this huge, huge thing. And then I was so excited because there was a handheld brick, you know, <laughs> that I could carry. And um and these these we have had cell phones and computers for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. However, a convenience is being able to put them in one device and to put them into a pocket-sized um product. Mm-hmm. I mean that that was just an amazing convenience for us, right?
0: Yeah. I I I can't I wonder how many people don't have some form of a cell phone. I mean, I'm sure there are many, but obviously none listening to us right now. But still that convenience then proliferated its its distribution and obviously significant profit and, and as well as um you know quality of life has increased because of that convenience.
2: Exactly. Well you know cell phones um when they were first coming out and and I used to have an international phone company um back in from ninety one to, to two thousand one And I traveled an awful lot to different countries. And Mm -hmm. what I found in places like Thailand and and the Middle East and whatnot is that it was a whole lot less expensive to just put up a cell phone tower than to actually string telephone lines. Hmm. So in many of those countries, um, a significant greater percentage of the population ended up having cell phones than actual landlines in their homes.
0: Interesting. Did not know that. Did not know that. Now, did I hear you say you had a Telephone company, is that part of the six too?
2: <laughs> it was, yeah. Okay,
0: I'm just like, when do we get into part of the six? I wasn't quite sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was from 91 to 2001.
0: Got it, got it. So, okay, excellent. So this this actually gets us into the, the journey. All right, so we start at six with uh, ice cups. Right.
2: Yeah, and then I and then I recognized. Wow, that's pretty good. I could do some more. And my brothers, all six of them, used to play little league baseball and different kinds of sports. And we played at fields, public fields that didn't have any concessions. So I wow. got one of those little radio flyer red uh, trailers, you know, those little <laughs> um, <laughs> thing on wheels, and I put a cooler in there, and I took sodas and water and and other sorts of little snacks and I sold them at the baseball parks nice and then later I got into I had some neighbors that had that were single and and but they had kids and so they worked late at night and so since their kids went to the same school I went to and we had lots of room in our house um we created sort of an overnight babysitting and then all my friends wanted to get into babysitting so I became sort of a broker, and <laughs> yes. I had about, uh, starting at 10 through about 13, I had a master schedule, and I brokered out babysitters to different <laughs> clients. <laughs>
0: Man, I am, in, okay, this is awesome. I, I mean, I you're, okay, just keep going. This is great. Yeah. This is great. Well,
2: <laughs> then um, I, uh, you know, did other jobs. I figured, well, I should probably you know, get a real job, you know, one that W-2s. And uh, so I worked for, you know, a couple of fast food places and roller skate places and roller skating rinks. And I, I wanted to do really well in high school. So I knew I had to study a lot as I was going through high school. And I found a job offer that was a assistant manager in a roller skating rink in their pro shop. So I cut a deal where I would only work on weeknights. Hmm. And the, the thing about weeknights is nobody's there. Right. So I worked in the pro shop, got paid, and I brought all my homework with me <laughs> <laughs> and did my homework. And occasionally somebody came come in with a broken skate and I'd fix it. And But for the most part, they needed somebody. Their problem was they needed somebody there because that was the requirement for their operation. Um, my challenge was I needed a job that I could also do my homework, and right. uh, so it was a it was a great exchange of value.
0: Indeed, indeed, you're, yeah. you're you're just a problem solver. I like it. You identify and you solve, and
2: well, I- most. Most most entrepreneurs are, wouldn't you agree? I mean, we're we either come up with solutions to problems or we create a convenience.
0: Uh, agreed. I I can't turn it off personally, but I've just I'm also thinking I was not doing that at 13. Naturally. I mean, you're on number four or five here. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just <laughs> well,
2: listening. those were just that's just what I did when I was a kid. And then when I moved to Seattle to go to college, uh-huh. um, the summer before my sophomore year. My sister, who was living here, and she's number two in the lineup, uh, and I'm number 10, and she was living here with her husband and young daughter, and she was really fabulous in real estate. Mm. And She and her husband own a ton of real estate, but she was a real estate um, salesperson and did quite well. But one thing she didn't like was being away from her daughter and husband on weekends. And that's when you have to hold open houses. Right. So she was trying to think of a business that she would only work during the week in the evenings. So she could, you know, have mornings and and early afternoons with her daughter. And she, she discovered one in Texas. And so she flew there and came back and called me up while I was on vacation uh, from school and said, hey, I want to start this business and I want you to do that with me. Would you fly back early? And so the summer before my sophomore year, we started a business that was fashion show retailing. So we contracted with Marriott's and Sheratons and Hilton's and all sorts of different hotel chains. And we put on fashion shows 60 a week here in the Seattle area.
0: Whoa, hold on. hold on. Did you say 60?
2: Six zero.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes, yeah, okay.
2: so I, I was 19. I had about 250 employees that I hired and trained and I bought all the garments that we showed and we, we retailed them through the shows um, and, uh, and essentially became entertainment for people to come into the um, bars and the restaurants and stuff uh, between the afternoon meetings and dinner, so we were sort of that happy hour crowd. Wow! Yeah, and it was really convenient because a lot of people that travel, and I don't know about you, but I, um, when I have a full blown business going, I'm traveling 150, 200 thousand miles a year, right? And I will sometimes get done with meetings, or I'll meet one of my clients in the bar, and we'll have a drink, and then we'll go off and have dinner. Um, or meet some other folks someplace off-site for dinner. And um, so it's kind of nice to be able to see something and go, well, wait a minute, my sister's birthday is going to be next week. right? Maybe I could just buy this now and uh, I don't have to go shopping.
0: Right, right. You
2: know, it was well before Amazon Prime.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Dude, Amazon, I'm
2: telling yeah, you. Yeah, so then we sold franchises to Alaska and New Jersey and expanded to Oregon and and eventually sold the business and. In eighty
0: nine. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, so from there, is that how we got into the cell phones?
2: No, then I ended up starting, I, I decided that I wanted to try and work for, you know, a large company. So I went to work for Boeing and somehow this manager found me, uh, my resume, and I was very tenacious about getting an appointment. And I was hired to be part of an 11 person group that bought major capital machinery and built buildings to paint airplanes and do Star Wars projects and all sorts of stuff. And we, um, every buyer at Boeing strives to be in this group because they spend the most money. (laughs) Somehow I got in it. But But the cool thing about being in it is I'm a salesperson. You know, I, that's my nature, fair exchange of value. And so I was able to use that skill to really identify ways to get better deals and ended up saving them millions and millions of dollars during the time that I was there. But as most entrepreneurs will tell you, you know, we get bored with routine. right? And so I, um, after a year and a half, even though they tried to create some really cool, innovative, Types of work for me. I just got bored, and I thought I want to go uh, be back in sales. So I went to work for Johnson and Johnson down in the Bay Area.
0: Got it, got it.
2: And oh. I worked for them for a year, and um, that I I did extremely well. I, you know, I you give me a quota, and I will blow it away. It's <laughs> just my nature. Understood. But. But a lot of people that work for large corporations like Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly Clark, things like that, they have very, very good training programs. But they get hired right out of college, and then they move through the ranks. Uh, You know, that's the corporate route. And so when someone like me comes along who's already owned businesses, who's already um, done really well, uh, comes along, it can be a little um, threatening. Right. So my immediate boss was a little threatened, not sure why I was doing so well, didn't know how to how to control an entrepreneur. Um, I didn't know that he wanted to. To be quite honest with you, I figured he'd be happy with you know huge bonuses, and um, <laughs> right. which he got <laughs> as a result of my efforts. But I knew I was making his life miserable, so I decided I really needed to go back into business. So I I left and started uh, my first telecom. First of three telecom businesses. For,
0: okay, okay, all right, all right, all right. May I? I got a question here because I'm trying to understand what inspired you to leave the business world in the first place and go to Boeing and Johnson and Johnson because you because you were already doing so many other things or had done so many other things that were working. I, I don't what it. Why? What did you see as a benefit at the time to even go go down that route?
1: Well, you
2: know, I, I don't know if you've ever worked with family before,
0: but, Oh, uh, but,
1: yeah. But,
2: but I worked, first of all, I, all my businesses before I was an adult, um, you know, my family knew about and thought I was just wonderful and, and complimented me on it. But all of us were really good. Uh, all, all of us kids were really good at stuff. And, and it's our nature to, to go ahead and tell everybody you're doing a good job. Right. I see. And so I worked with my sister and then my mother, we, we, she was a widow and we thought it would be nicer if she lived up here with us instead of Hawaii. So we put her to work. And even though you're being told by your, by your family and your business partner, you're doing a good job. You kind of want some outside validation. Got it. And so that's the only reason I took a chance on Boeing and Johnson & Johnson was to get outside validation, which I got. But I also realized something really important about myself, and that is that I solve problems and create conveniences and exchange value much faster, much, much faster than a large corporation can.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. Yes. I I could yes I'm sure we both have stories of the frustration of working inside of corporations going I, but if you did it this way
2: <laughs> exactly which yeah. is why which is why we ended up doing well I mean if you climb up to the C suite and that executive management team between you and you know the top of the food chain right. um, they love you. Because they want people to be like that, but that middle layer or five layers of management, they just want to get the next promotion.. Right. They don't understand the same motivation that you and I do as being the business owner in the C-suite. Even if our C-suite is only you know five people sure. uh, in our company, um, it's still it's still the same process, just fewer zeros.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it I, I just got frustrated not being rewarded for those things and <laughs> having to yeah. still deal with the constraints. And it was like, ah, there's got to be a better way. So. All right. So you said the first of three telecoms.
2: Right. So I came back to Seattle. I, I put my uh boss out of his misery, and I quit. <laughs> his bosses weren't too happy about that, however. But right. but I but I left, and I came back to Seattle. And a friend of mine um, was the head of a group purchasing organization for a hospital system. You know, all the hospitals in Washington State. So they would buy things as a group. You know, drug contracts, okay. and IV solutions. You know, things like that. Anything a hospital needs. And deregulation in the telephone industry was just starting to really take effect. Yeah. So he had said, you know, we don't have a solution for telecommunications. Would you like to help us figure one out? So I started a company and became a reseller and rebiller of MCI, who was like the second player outside of AT&T, outside of Ma Bell. Right. Right. Um, and a- MCI had a program that they only allowed uh, corporate Fortune 500 companies to use. And it was called VNet. So um, I convinced them to allow me to use that program. And instead of having branches or divisions of a single company, I would have individual locations all uh, in the arena of healthcare and that I would get the master bill and I would rebuild each of these locations. So they said that would be just fine. And we got it all set up and the cost savings to the hospitals was about half. Oh, wow. This was when you used to actually have to pay for a long distance call and it could <laughs> be about, about 25 cents a minute. Oh, wow. So I came in at fourteen, you know, twelve to fourteen cents a minute, and all you had to do was sign a piece of paper, and you would not notice any change at all. Nice, because the local phone company, instead of sending the call to AT and T, would now send it to MCI. So it was completely transparent for you. Yeah. Now, my, my deal was that I had to pay MCI in 45 days. So I got every CFO of every healthcare organization that I worked with, and I had you know hundreds and hundreds of them all over the country. Um, and, and in addition to saving them money, um, I would ask for their commitment in, in uh, agreeing to pay me in seven days.
0: <laughs> I knew that was coming. I was like, how soon is she going to get them to pay? Yeah, <laughs> I was definitely. like, I knew that was coming.
2: Right. And so they all agreed and I had a stiff penalty if they didn't, but they all agreed that it, that the savings, many hospitals were spending, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand $40,000 a month wow. on long distance service. And now we can cut it in half. It was worth paying quickly.
0: You got it. Yeah, it makes sense. But
2: here's here's the cool part. So, I saved them all that money, but every month got thirty one percent commission on the total bill
0: yeah I, it,
2: I, it was sweet yeah, no doubt,
0: no <laughs> doubt, I got it, I get it no okay, all right all right i I think we have established that you know your stuff, and i'm just i'm in i you might you might now qualify for the most interesting person i've talked to.
2: Uh, (laughs) well that's not even the coolest businesses Uh, right (laughs) the starters (laughs) that's
0: what i'm like i'm like i feel like we're just getting this out but i want to get to a a few more things and 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 clearly we're gonna have to have you back to finish this story but what i what i really want to know then okay because you've you've been in the trenches across the world you've seen various different things um my, my question is, I know somebody is thinking this. Okay. May has done all these great things and she's done so many of them. She started at six. I, I, I didn't have that, but how, why is it that I'm, what do I need to do to become like May? Why am I having so much trouble? What, what did I do? What, what can I do? Who do I need to be in order to become that successful entrepreneur? From your perspective, how would you answer that question? Okay, now, it's important to hear other people's perspectives, And I know you guys know that. That's why you listen, which is great and wonderful. But it's also just as important to have your own. What do I mean by this? I mean, I'm asking you, what would be your definition of successful? It's always good to have a definition. Even if you're not sure if it's the quote-unquote right one, it's yours. And that's what's important. You have to start somewhere. You might as well start with that. Now, let's go find out what her definition is.
2: Well, the first thing you need, it, it, when I go into classrooms and I'm talking to young entrepreneurs or MBA students that are uh, getting a degree in entrepreneurship, one of the things that I tell them is that you know there are characteristics of an entrepreneur. Um, if you look at all the great entrepreneurs all over the world, and since Amazon is just booming here in Seattle, you know, let's talk about Jeff Bezos. Right. You know, he did the same thing I did for a couple of my businesses. You start in a garage, you start in a you know an extra bedroom, a, a, a hallway in your house. I mean, you're a risk taker. You take risks. Right. Um, you mortgage your business, your uh, homes. You um, you borrow money. You I can remember. I can't even count the number of times in early startups where I've had to put payroll on my credit card when I'm not even getting a paycheck. Right. Um, so you have to be a risk taker. Um, you have to understand that idea of a fair exchange of value. You, you have to understand that and know. Now, money itself are just little certificates that represent value. But there has to be a fair exchange of value. You have to be able to very, very authentically know that what you're giving as a service, as a solution, as a product, as a convenience, has a value. Yes. No matter what your potential customer says, it has a value. And you have to really understand what that value is. Fortunately, we have competitive you know, data now that's really easily available, and you can see who your what your competitors are pricing things at, and if yours is that much better, then you know there should be a premium. Um, but you you do need to understand that idea, that premise, and really believe that there is a fair exchange of value. You also have to have vision. Oh my gosh, I mean, where do you want to go? This is not your business is going to pivot. So many different times (laughs) Um, based on what your customers tell you, based on what the market demands, based on what competitors do. So you have to have a real, real vision for what the problem is that needs to be solved or the convenience that needs to be created. Um, That's super, super important. And you've got to have some creativity. If you don't, find a partner, find an advisor, find somebody that thinks outside the box to be part of your team. I had, um, fortunately for me, and especially in my last company, which I had a lot of software developers and, and systems interface engineers and things like that. And and when allowed, these people are incredibly creative. So you have to have the ability to really cultivate and help your team feel super comfortable so they don't feel like they're going to get yelled at by having a crazy idea. Because I can tell you, those crazy ideas, they turn into some really, really great businesses. Indeed. Yeah. And then tenacity. Don't give up. You know, you're going to hit all sorts of bumps in the road. You're going to hit things that you don't expect. I mean, in every single company, um, in, in excuse me, in the United States, one of the most horrible things, um, but it's just a way that people do business, is they litigate in order to slow you down. So you'll find um, that sometimes when you're doing really, really, really well, like in my international phone company, we got sued by AT&T, MCI, and Sprint all at the same time. Oh, wow. And that's a huge a distraction. Right? You have to be really really careful about protecting your team, making sure every you, you know, if there's no injunction, then all they're doing is trying to slow you down. Right. And and that's clear. Anytime I've gotten sued, there's no injunction because we didn't do anything wrong. Right. But it's just a way that people operate in the United States. They litigate to slow you down so that you don't take too much of their business. And um, that's what happened for us. So it ended up going to the FCC and it was ruled in the consumer's best interest that we operate. And in my company after that, it was another Fortune 20 company that sued us. And a company after that, it was another Fortune 20 company. But they do this. You need to just expect it. It's just this is just part of business. Don't freak out. Protect your team. Make sure that they don't even know a lawsuit is going on in terms of their day-to-day operation. Figure out a way to handle it without freaking everybody out so that they can do their job well. And you have to really believe, you have to be passionate about what it is that you're doing. In my last two companies, when people would say, well, what do you do? My response was, we save lives. Right. We save lives. We, we put in an inventory management solution um, for large hospital systems using software and equipment, and we also made sure that barcodes were applied to every single medication that was distributed throughout the hospital system. So when it came right down to it, Jay, a patient would have their wristband scanned, and they would scan a barcode that was on one of the medications we distributed, to make sure that that patient was getting the right drug. That we, was you? We save lives. <laughs> I've seen,
0: I, well, I've been in the hospital for many various reasons and lots of medical complications with my wife and pregnancies, et cetera. And I remember watching that process. I never really knew what they were doing. I didn't really care. I just cared that, that she was getting the right something. And now I, now I know a, a person who was a part of that process. Yeah, so there's, that,
2: a, there's lots of components that make up that solution. But it all starts with making sure that the drug has a barcode. And and that's one of the things that we made sure happened.
0: That's awesome. And I love how you elevate it past the, you know, tactical day to day of this is what we do. Uh, you know, because you, 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 some you and that's what I that's how I think about real estate in a very completely different way. We don't really do real estate. We provide jobs. We provide housing. We we help mothers and daughters and and, and husbands uh, go out there to provide a stable uh, home uh, environment. Uh, and we we teach people. We teach others to do the exact same thing. And I, I get excited about those things. So I, I completely hear you one hundred percent. One of the things that I want to pick out though from fr- something you just said that I I hope everybody picked up because. Uh, I know specifically a lot of the real estate people, they are often coming to me and scared. They're like, Jay, I want to do this, but I don't want to get sued. Or, Jay, I want to do this, and this is how I think it's going to go. What if that's not right? Can you talk to us a little bit about your experience with the – there's a certain I, – I just believe very strongly that there's a certain point where you just got to be ready for the stuff that you don't know is coming, and it doesn't mean the end. It just means – It's got to change into something else. Talk to us a little bit more about your experience through, through those types of things.
2: Well, first of all, you never ever plan um, to be sued (laughs) and (laughs) and, and you never, you never plan to have a regulation or um, something come up that is going to require you to pivot or die. All right. So you, you don't plan for those kinds of things, um, in advance, they usually show up unexpectedly, right? Okay, and, and you certainly should never, ever, ever do anything knowingly that's putting yourself at risk of a lawsuit. Because it's my belief that, you know, this is this is one of those balanced universes that we live in. And whatever you give out, you're going to get some form of back. So if you knowingly give out um, you know, you're trying to take advantage of somebody in an, an unlawful or a unethical way, or if you're if you're doing something that you know you would not want to have done to you. Um, you know, be careful because this somehow this universe does balance itself, and and that you may find that that same amount of money, that same amount of time, that same amount of talent is taken away from you when you least expect it. So that's the first thing, you know, make sure you're operating in integrity. Right. Um, the second thing is when stuff happens, um, you know, I use it, an interesting process, I wrote a book called the path to wealth. And it talks about some spiritual steps. I and mean, I, I call it spiritual only because you can't see it. Um, and it relies heavily on something that Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Oprah Winfrey, Thomas Edison, Steven Spielberg, and countless numbers of really successful people say they rely on for success. And that is intuition.
0: Yeah.
2: So what ends up happening, because you can't see intuition, I call it spiritual. If you stay focused and revisit on a daily basis what it is that you want in terms of your goals, but really describe the outcome. I'm so grateful that our company is now realizing a minimum of X number of millions of dollars in sales this year with a, um, and we we're growing to serve, you know, X number of clients this year Um, and that we are doing this um, satisfyingly and fulfilling and that all related to our business are um, being uh, uh, rewarded, by our being in in existence. You know, if you stay focused on the outcome of what you want with gratitude, what ends up happening is these, these intuitive messages sort of show up that sometimes don't make any sense, but they're giving you direction to take steps along a path to make those statements true. And the easiest way to describe that, Jay, Is when you think about the last time you you bought a car, Uh, most (laughs) people that go through this process of buying a car will analyze different models. They'll maybe go look at them. They'll read about them. They'll test drive them to talk to their friends and family about cars. And they narrow it down to maybe one or two models. But they're already imagining themselves in their new car driving around. And what happens? They start noticing that car everywhere. Right. Well, that's because your subconscious and this idea of intuition start to filter these billions of pieces of data that are being sent to you. And they it filters it and illuminates the things that are important for you to pay attention to that are in concert, in agreement with this realized goal that you have. So I can tell you just incredible stories where I, you know, felt this hunch or this idea, or or I thought of somebody I hadn't thought of in a long time, and I pick up the phone and I call them, only to find out they are now the decision maker at this monster customer <laughs> that I wanted to have, and I get you know a half a million dollar contract. So that's really really important. Whether you rely on intuition or not, your subconscious is going to show up if you stay focused on what you want the outcome of your goals to be. So every single day, have a planning meeting with yourself and and see, uh, write down, read out loud, and see in your mind's eye your company and you in that successful position with those realized goals. Synchronicity will happen to try and make those statements true.
1: Agreed. Then
2: then you won't freak out when a lawsuit happens. (laughs) (laughs) What you'll do is call your attorney and say, hey, I just got this cease and desist or this demand letter. You'll send it to your attorney. But you won't freak out because you know what your end goal is. You'll just manage the problem and continue to stay focused on achieving the goals.
0: You know, uh, you're... I am learning rapidly that um, you are one of those individuals that I would want to talk to for like four hours. <laughs> Unfortunately, in today's world, we don't have four hours with which to do that uh, and, and in one setting. But I, I, I've never done this before. I'm just going to ask, though, are you willing to come back? Because there's more I want to know for sure. And I'm sure there's more that others want to know, too.
2: Of course, I would love to.
0: Okay got it excellent excellent so let me let me let me do two things here one i, I know that if uh, anyone else or all the others that have made it this far are also wondering how how can they find out more about what you're up to what what you what you got going on how can they get a copy of your book even et cetera, because i know they want to learn
2: more sure so uh, to make it easy just go to maymccarthy.com and that'll take you to my business results site. Um, so May is M A Y McCarthy M C C A R T H Y dot com, and that'll actually show up um, on my website at the book tab. Got it. But there's pla- I speak coast to coast. I'm booked out to next April. Um, I'm all over the place, so I might be in a city near. Someone <laughs> and they're welcome to come and attend. We also you know have tons of videos up um, and and I also have lots of clients and somebody might know somebody that that has some gems of information as a result of either reading a book or or uh, meeting with me in person so there's lots of ways to to access. Information and and nothing I nothing I share is brand new. It's but it helps people to remember to remember what they already know.
0: Indeed, totally understood. Totally understood. Now let's get to the, this final question, if we will. Um, there's because I, I know you. I can't wait to hear your answer. To be honest, I'm really excited. Um, th- there's somebody listening right now who uh, you know may they 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 want to put on that superhero outfit. They could be. In standing in front of the superhero outfit store right now, they're thinking about, man, should I, shouldn't I, can I, do I have what it takes, but I have this great idea. But in the back of their head, that voice, it's so loud to them right now. It's so consistent. And occasionally that voice is coming from people that they know, love, and trust and have trusted all their life thus far. Here's my question to you. For a moment, let's pretend that the person you're about to talk to is actually going to take action and do step-by-step exactly what you suggest in the next 24 to 48 hours. What would you tell them to do to be able to end up in a better position where they are actually beginning to realize what it is that they want to receive?
2: Boy. um, Okay, so... is is this a person that is, is thinking about starting a business or yes. is okay. So if this is an entrepreneur, I would say go online right now and look up free business plan templates. Okay. There's lots of different places to get them and fill it out. And you need to actually put your plan down on paper, on paper, before you ever spend a dime. on anything else. I'm telling you, I have seen more people fail. They have a great idea. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've never written it down. They've never talked to a potential customer. They've never done a marketing feasibility, a financial feasibility study. They've never done anything that a business plan requires. And they lose all of that money. And they have this incredible disappointment. And here's the thing. Every time we don't achieve a goal, And which is most often, most often due to bad planning, Mm -hmm. you know, we didn't plan and we didn't prepare, but when we don't achieve a goal, our brain remembers it. So the next time we have a really big goal, our brain is going to try and talk us out of it because it wants to protect us from disappointment. Hmm. So it's really, really important that you put it all down on paper first. And part of it is going to include talking to potential customers What I tell my students at Seattle University and other places where I uh, am a guest teacher, what I tell them to do is, you know, play the the student card. Even though you're an MBA student, you have a full-time job. (laughs) Call somebody up and say, I'm a student at Seattle U, and could I ask you a couple of questions? And then just say, here's an idea that we're thinking of. Would that be something that would be a problem solver for you? Would that be a convenience for you? Would that have some value for you? And these these marketing research studies can be that simple. It could be a phone call. It could be meeting somebody for a cup of coffee. It could be um, gathering, you know, a group of twenty people for you know a Chinese lunch. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be very expensive. This could be really informal, but what you're getting are people that really have the value that you want them to exchange with you, right. or solution for a, for a, for a convenience. You you'll be able to figure that out as you write your plan. It will tell you to go get some customer survey information. That would be the thing that they should do in the next twenty four hours.
0: Nice, I love it. I, I love it. I, I'm it's you're opening the feedback loop immediately and you, you'll get to test and I and I like it I like how action oriented it is Uh and I, I'm just in, I'm excited like I said uh I definitely want to say thank you for the time the talent the investment the experience the the everything that you have shared with us here today at the cash flow diary
2: oh it was my pleasure Jay thanks so much for having me on.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's time for you to move at the speed of instruction. What does that mean? That means you probably know a website and a book and so many other things that you need to do. In fact, I'm going to underscore what you just heard. Get the plan, make it happen. Go, it's just a phone call. You're not going to die from making a phone call. We're just gonna find out, though, how great you are and your idea is. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been fun talking to you today. I look forward to talking to you soon. Until next time.